friends, welcome to Phyllis, Lucretia, and Other Naughty Apocryphal Women, or episode 24 of She Existed, the podcast wherein I, Ashlyn Romagnoli, tell you the tale of a woman of history and or legend previously unknown to me. I'm going to be honest with you all. Making this podcast can be a pretty humbling experience, which is probably a good thing. Not to sound too full of myself, though, but I know, like, a lot of stuff about a lot of things. Not, like, super well, uh, but I'm a curious cat, so I'd consider myself a consummate dilettante. Definitely, like, in a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none style, I'm pretty much not great at anything, but pretty good at a lot of stuff, or at least knowing about a lot of stuff. My husband can attest to how surprising this can be sometimes. Like, we'll be watching something, like, for example, um, our latest obsession is the survival show Alone, and I'll just casually mention how humans typically don't eat carnivore meat because it tends to be both more parasite-ridden than herbivore meat, and their muscles are tougher and stringier. Weird. Or we'll be talking about, I don't know, our savings account, and I'll mention that, broadly speaking, financial advice for retiring early is to save enough so that you can withdraw no more than 4% annually without touching the principal. Or we'll be talking about gender issues, and I'll bring up the Roman de Silence, a medieval French tale about a child-born female raised as male and the adventures that then ensue. There's nothing groundbreaking here, of course, just like, like I said, I'm curious about pretty much everything. But given that an area of particular interest for me is, of course, women in history and literature, the fact that I keep discovering all kinds of stories about women that I have never even heard a peep about is, uh both awesome and a little surprising. And like I said, humbling. I'm sort of curious if these women I'm sharing with you are new to you as well, uh, my dear listeners, or if it's like, duh, who hasn't heard of Tin Hanan? And actually, now that I mentioned Tin Hanan, I was playing this horror game on my Nintendo Switch the other day, and the backstory was actually about finding Tin Hanan's tomb, so damn, maybe I just don't pay enough attention and I don't know nearly as much as I thought I did, which is almost universally true for anyone. None of us know nearly as much as we think we do. Anyway, uh, today I have a couple of tales for you that um, exemplify an historical pattern that I find both interesting and infuriating in equal parts. Both stories I'm going to tell you come from what is known as the power of women topos from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. The basic theme here is the idea that women have a very strong power with them, often affiliated with sexuality, that is dangerous. It is dangerous, it needs to be contained, and that when it runs amok or gains the upper hand, men, and by extension all of society, lose out. Uh, We're going to be talking about one Phyllis and one Lucretia, and note that unlike most She Existed episodes, we pretty much know for sure that these women didn't actually exist. They were made up as allegories. So, here's today's two ladies of note, Phyllis and Lucretia. Phyllis, first, we'll start with her. Phyllis and Aristotle, yes, that Aristotle, is probably one of the most famous and most commonly depicted of the power of women tales. Like, it's everywhere, in like writing and art, woodcutting, all that stuff. Uh, It seems to have originated in the 13th century and is attributed to a man named Jacques de Vitry, Um, but many additional tales have elaborated and embellished upon the original. So, here's the gist. You may recall that Aristotle tutored one Alexander the Great, and apparently said tutelage went far beyond mere philosophy. 
Indeed, Aristotle included a segment on the evils of distracting naughty women, such as Phyllis, who was alternatively Alexander's father's mistress, uh, Alexander himself's mistress, or maybe wife, or she may have just been a beautiful noble woman hanging around being destructively sexy, which, as we know, is the main hobby of most women, loitering and hoping that some old lech will notice them. Notice her, Aristotle does, though, and he begs for her, um, <clears throat> favor, to which she says, a uh, quote from one of the tales, This I will certainly not do, unless I see a sign of love, lest you be testing me. Therefore, come to my chamber, crawling on hand and foot, in order to carry me like a horse. Then I'll know that you aren't deluding me. Now, apparently the goods on offer were quite good, and shockingly, Aristotle acquiesces, letting Phyllis ride him like a pony. So just, like, let's pause for a moment and think about that. Like, she's literally riding one of the most influential philosophers of all time like he's a horse. Now, what Aristotle didn't realize was that his pupil Alexander was secretly hiding and watching the whole ridiculous affair. Now, I don't know whether this was engineered in advance by Alexander or Phyllis or just a lucky happenstance that he happened to be there. Or hell, I mean, this isn't noted in any of the historical sources, but like, maybe it was an elaborate sex game. I mean, we do know Aristotle and Alexander both probably had male lovers, uh, but regardless, Aristotle appears to have been quite unaware of Alexander's presence, which actually is a pretty nasty consent violation, to be honest. Although, you know, you get what you fucking ask for when you uh, decide to go along with being ridden like a horse. Uh, anyway, he was very embarrassed to be found in such a compromising position. Now, there are a few endings to the story. One option is that Aristotle literally flees the country to just then meditate on the wickedness of feminine wiles forever. Another is that Aristotle concludes that love conquers all and all shall conquer as long as the world shall last, which sounds kind of romantic to today's ears, but I'm pretty sure what he meant was just like, damn, there is nothing you can do in the face of that ass. Either way, though, the implication is that if a smart, savvy philosopher like Aristotle can get caught up in these distracting shenanigans, a lesser man certainly also could, and ultimately, the world suffers for it. See? Woman has bizarre sexual power, uh, even the smartest man cannot escape its clutches, and then everyone is, like, bummed and embarrassed because um, Aristotle was bummed and embarrassed, and we like him. Now, I also saw a lesser-known version of this whole story where Phyllis was Alexander's mistress or wife, um, and that Alexander was not uh, tending to his lady's uh, needs because of Aristotle's interference, talking about, you know, the distractions of these wily evil women. So Phyllis herself arranges this whole matter to embarrass Aristotle um, out of a desire for revenge, which is a little more wily and, like, also a lot more hilarious, I think. But either way we end up in the same place. Like, this woman is conniving, scheming, she has this mysterious evil power, and uh, nobody wins in the end. Anyway, that's Phyllis. Another comparable tale that arose in the Middle Ages uh, was that of Virgil. Yes, that Virgil! Uh, and an emperor's daughter or mistress, again, like, those are very different things, so part of me is just like, how do you not, like, 
know if it's a mistress or a daughter, but I guess we just don't really care. Uh, Lucretia is her name. Once again, a destructively sexy female wreaks havoc upon an unsuspecting old poet just innocently minding his own business when POW! The sexy overwhelms him, causing him to lose all faculty and control of himself. She apparently cruelly encourages his attentions, uh, but has no intention of letting poor Virgil have any relief. And also just like another little aside that isn't it interesting how much historically we have valued the concept of virginity and protecting virginity. Uh, but then this, you can still portray this as like, oh, poor Virgil, he doesn't get any relief. And it's like, uh, what, what, do you, what do you want her to do? Ah, anyway, eventually, though, Lucretia invites Virgil to her boudoir, allowing him entry via a basket pulled in through her window. Because I guess, yeah, maybe we do need to keep all this stuff secret. I don't know. Unfortunately, it's all just a cruel trick. And she leaves him hanging. Literally. Lucretia literally leaves Virgil hanging outside her window, and everyone points and laughs at him for the whole next day. Trauma. So one of the reasons I wanted to share these stories, even though these women didn't actually exist, is because they speak to some of the roots of the very destructive stories and assumptions that we make in our own time. So in these tales, they do appear to show women exercising power, but their audience is probably supposed to recognize that, well, you know... This actually means the undoing of society. Duh, this is not good for her to be taking this power. Uh, Christine de Pizan, who you probably know as the proto-feminist author of The City of Ladies, actually does mention these tales. But even her take at this time isn't, yay, stories that show women doing kick-ass stuff they want to do and taking charge. But rather her perspective is that the stories would probably be differently told if you ask the women involved for their side of the story. So even she accepts this premise that, yeesh, women shouldn't act that way, women shouldn't do this, women have this power, and ugh. But, you know, we emphasize the proto and feminist on Christina de Pizan, of course, because of the cultural context of when she lived. Ultimately, when you're hearing these tales, you're supposed to empathize with Aristotle and Virgil. After all, these are men of power, talent, and substance who are then publicly shamed. Who doesn't cringe in empathy at these stories, thinking about a group of people like pointing and laughing at you in your most vulnerable moment? There is a reason that a lot of people have nightmares wherein they are naked. I get it. For me, though, this is exactly why learning about women and women's perspectives is so important. It's not that I don't feel bad for Aristotle. We've all done stupid shit when we're blinded by love or lust. But as Christine de Pizan noted, I also want to hear more about Phyllis's perspective on this. Like I said, Aristotle was, you know, Aristotle, a rock star of philosophy if there ever was one. If indeed Phyllis was just a lady of the court or a mistress, what ability would she have had to just say no to his attentions other than maybe shaming him in this way? And also, why do we assume that these men had no choice but to pursue these women who repeatedly turned them down and as far as we know were just like existing when they are approached? And looked at in another light. By absolving the men of wrongdoing in these instances, we totally remove their agency in all of this. They don't have to slobber all over these women. Possessed by Pussy would be a great band name, but it's a pretty lame excuse for being an idiot or an asshole or taking advantage of women who are not in a position to say no to you. Don't even get me started on catcalling, by the way. One doesn't literally have to whistle when a nice-looking woman walks by, and yes, it is different than a compliment. 
Now, although both of these tales are from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, they certainly were neither completely new, nor have they been totally left behind. And sometimes these stories have much worse consequences. For example, uh, in Euphorian's Thrax from the 3rd century BCE, I found the story of Apriati, a woman who was such a huge tease for Trambulus, whoever the fuck that is, uh, that he had to throw her into the ocean when she repeatedly refused to be raped. Because if you keep saying no, it is rape. If you say no at all, it's rape. Later, this gem of a man was actually honored by Achilles upon his death. Like, for fuck's sake, y'all. Really? Like, really? That guy deserved, like, a cool burial mound? Mm. And um, as for today, uh, when I was writing this episode, I actually started thinking about a contemporary version of this kind of power of women tale that uh, I am sure you're familiar with. Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. Bill Clinton, president of one of the most powerful nations on Earth. Monica Lewinsky, 22-year-old intern. Whether or not Monica was a consenting participant in the escapades at the White House, the narrative surrounding it all at the time was very much about a deviously beguiling young woman who entranced a much older, presumably respectable man who had simply lost his head and couldn't help himself. Bumbling old fool. I remember when this happened. I was pretty young, but it was very memorable news at the time. And no one was pissed at Clinton for what I'd now consider to be the right reasons. Yeah, like, they were angry he lied under oath, or were mad that he cheated on his wife, but there was definitely not nearly enough outrage that he'd taken advantage of a young woman that he was in a position of power over, which again takes the agency and responsibility for the initial act away from him and places this all squarely on her head for, you know, daring to be young and beautiful and in proximity of a powerful man who couldn't help himself. At worst, people were mad at Clinton because he got caught and then lied, obviously, but whose life ended up being ruined by this? Yeah. So, uh, this episode was a little darker than I'd intended, but sometimes that's just the way it goes. The Power of Women. Disempowering stories of the ages, in my opinion, doing no favors to women or to men, but it is fascinating to see how this mythos of the strange sexual power of women has stuck around and evolved. So you might want to Google Power of Women, which will take you to a wiki page about it, which is good. Phyllis and Aristotle. Again, like, you've got to look at some of these, these paintings. It's amazing. Lucretia and Virgil, obviously. Um, and another kind of fun recommendation, Slow Burn Season 2, which I listened to a long time ago, so I don't remember all the details, but it is a very, very detailed breakdown of the Clinton and Lewinsky scandal. Um, its lens is political, not feminist, uh, but it's still really good, um, really interesting, especially kind of with a little bit of distance that we have today to look back on stuff like that. Okay. Uh, so I've decided to add something new to the podcast, uh, which is a climate change fact or piece of news at the end of each segment. Why, you ask? <laughs> well, uh, because climate change is real, it's here, and it is the most important issue of our time. I mean, seriously, we cannot fix sexism or racism or any of the shitty isms if we don't have a sustainable habitat. And the most important thing that average people like you and me can do to help is not recycle, though you should, or donate to causes, though you should. It's just to um, to talk about it all the time. Not only when it's contextually relevant. I mean, I'd argue that like climate change never doesn't make contextual sense since it's like going to affect everything. But it kind of surprises people in a good way when they hear things out of the context in which they expect to hear them. And it kind of makes them actually think about it instead of just dismissing it. So yeah, 
you didn't choose to listen to a climate change podcast, but uh, here you go anyway. So I was reading this Wired article about this recent report that was released, and they note, quote, the kind of extreme heat event that would have only happened on average once every 10 years between 1850 and 1900 now likely occurs 2.8 times every 10 years and is likely to occur 4.1 times every 10 years in a world that hits 1.5 degrees Celsius of future warming. So think about the devastation of the fires in the U.S. or Australia, for example. Um, I mean, devastation is the right word for it. And for context, 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming was um, the goal that the 2015 Paris Accords wanted to hold our world to. But at this point, we are very unlikely to hit that goal, even with drastic action taken today, which isn't going to happen because by the time you listen to this, uh, it's already been days since I recorded it. So call your local politicians if you can, tell them you care about this, and just talk about it. Just talk about it. Bring it up. Talk to people. Make people think about this. It's important. All right. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time. Thank you.